This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey welcome back. Uh, also, welcome to uh, 2021, everybody. We made it. Uh, Congratulations. Yes. 2020 is over in the past. Yeah, 2020 is over. So yeah. pour yourself yeah. a drink. Speaking of which, what are you guys drinking? What do you got? I am drinking orange juice because I was just craving oh. it. It just, you just sometimes have a craving for something fruity, something that has citrus and orange juice was the first thing I saw in my fridge. So that's what I have. Here you go. I actually poured myself a drink in celebration of the new year. So I'm drinking my favorite scotch whiskey, 16-year-old Lagavulin. Oh, Get into clink, it. Clink our glasses. Clink, clink. Oh, yeah. I was also feeling festive for the new year. So I'm drinking a hard pear apple cider. Not going to lie. It pretty much tastes like Martinelli cider. Oh, there mm. it is. And right it's on. delicious. It's from uh, Julian Brewing or Julian Cider in Melton Freewater, Oregon, which I've been to. So that feels kind of cool. Very nice. Are you all resolution people for the new year season? No. Nah. I feel like I want to be, but no. I've recently started doing weekly resolutions, though. And so far, that's been helpful, but not like for oh, the I year. Oh, I like that. I like that. Tell me about what that looks like. Well, I was realizing that like a daily to-do list is like too overwhelming for me. I need like a weekly to-do list. Like this week, I need to do this sometime during the week. Doesn't matter which day, but like sometime during the week, I need to do this. Or like even for recurring weekly things. Mm -hmm. Like a week is so much more easier to manage than this whole year. I'm not going to eat broccoli or something stupid like that. (laughs) Of all foods to avoid. I'm not going to stop eating it. Broccoli. Well, maybe I'll stop eating broccoli for a week. I don't know. Yeah. Try it. Who knows? I'll swear off. <laughs> I found out recently that I'm allergic to broccoli. So there's <gasps> there's one of my resolutions. <laughs> what? Okay, first of all, how Just did you find this out? That's what I okay, want to know. Well, so I noticed that broccoli started making my mouth numb when I eat it. It Whoa. Eat it. Oh. it, it. How am I what am I saying when, when I you eat, eat it? it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you I know, I'm even, glad you uh, asked about resolutions though. Um, yeah. Because I'm finding myself in an interesting situation. Um, I actually didn't tell you guys about this yet. Uh, this is the first time kind of telling you about it. I so may have leaned into my wing eight this last weekend. Nice. Um, you heard me mention a couple episodes back about, I was getting really angsty about these street preachers the other week. They like oh. show up to Pike place. Yeah. Every Saturday, pretty consistently for a couple months. So I'll give them that they're consistent. Man, I was just getting so riled up. Um, some people in our comments heard me rant a little bit about it. And my girlfriend, being the lovely person that she is, shout out to Elise, Aww. she bought me a megaphone. No, and stop. She did. <laughs> and yesterday, after I got off work, I was not on the clock. 
Uh, these, these are not. The ref- <laughs> That's <laughs> a disclaimer. Does not reflect okay. my employer. Right. Um, I then went down to the street and I stood across the street from them on the opposite corner, and um, I like yelled back to them. Oh. And let me tell you what that was a, it was a great experience. Um, well, for me anyway. Yeah. I would also like to say as a disclaimer, at least one business owner came out and like encouraged me to keep going. And there were several other business people like standing out there, like watching because these people were like pestering the market for like three plus hours before I went out there with a pretty loud amplifier. And there is a non-amplification law in Seattle. Right. And several business owners, I found out several business owners call in a noise complaint to them every week and nothing has been done about it. Oh, no. Hmm. So, all right. Well, after I was out there for half an hour. Their battery died, and uh, <laughs> my battery was still going. So I just kept talking about Jesus. Oh, and, uh, Josh. And they did leave. What? Okay, you're a podcaster now, so I have to ask: Did you record this? I did not. This I've mixed feelings this is, about that. This is crushing. no promises that I will record in the future. Okay, but I did not record. Okay, oh, fair enough. That's now, okay. I'm curious to know what, I mean, what theologies were you bantering you know, with? You know, it was everything from, number one, they were out in public in a market area, and there were a lot of tourists around, and they weren't wearing masks. There were three gentlemen. Mm. And so it was everything from to love your neighbor means to wear a mask right now because we're in a pandemic. And it was everything from that to quoting the Bible back to them. Um, they had the the gall to suggest that I was not a Christian and I just shouted back. No, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe all these things. I believe in the Bible. You want me to quote the Bible? I can quote it back to you too. So it was a lot of like scripture quoting. So this kind of, it's interesting to me. Like we just did an episode about the quad, the Wesleyan quad a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, no, I guess it's more than a couple weeks ago now. Um, wow. Like and, a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Like last year. <laughs> Stupid joke. Stupid New and Year's like, joke. I felt Moving like on. the only way I could like have any grounds to argue was to use scripture Mm. because their only defense was, well, like you're not a Christian and I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't about to listen to your experience. No. No, Did you ever feel like you had to out shout them? Like, did you ever find yourself almost matching their, their really? Wow. To be honest. Yes. But with that said, their speaker was quite a bit louder and there were times that, me shouting made them stop talking. Mm-hmm. So, what? What was this I like for you, kind of Josh? You are not. Um, a it was yeller. exhilarating. You're honestly, uh, <laughs> I was a little shaky afterwards because I think I locked my knees during it. Oh no! Because oh, I was just like shame. thinking of things to say. But to be honest, I've never like we kind of talked about this in the episode. Am I just being agreeable that we put on the feed a while yeah. back? Okay. And it's I have not been that directly confrontational a with someone in public and b with complete strangers so completely new experience for me and to be honest i kind of just like felt the spirit talking a little bit like i was just like quoting bible verses that i haven't referenced in years that like i probably wouldn't have been able to tell you the reference for last week also here's a question will you do it again uh yeah i plan to Oh, yes. (laughs) I don't know if they've gotten pushback before, at least like this formally. And I tried to like, I tried to uh, like call them out. I was like, I'm your Christian brother and I'm doing what Paul says. I have a problem with you and I'm coming to you telling you that. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm meeting and, you in oh, your exciting. venue. Yeah. So I wow. If they show up there again this next week, I plan to be there with a microphone. We'll see how it goes. I kind of don't know what else to do. Um, I w- I was talking with um a business owner afterwards. Um, they post up on the corner, right in front of this T-shirt shop that because of COVID is required to leave their doors open, and their speaker is so loud, and this oh, business owner has to. Oh wow. Oh wow. What? And really? Yeah, it's it's not great. And so we talked a little while afterwards um with her and um with a local parking enforcement officer who was the kindest human ever and was like so apologetic and was saying like I'm going to check into like why these noise complaints aren't going anywhere and mm. I'm really sorry that nothing's been done about it. Wow. So good not for you, Josh. All heroes wear capes. Thanks. Yeah. But it's gotten me thinking. Um, honestly, I like couldn't sleep last night very well. Uh, like my mind was just reeling. It got me thinking about something that we've brought up on the show before, but we haven't really fleshed out. So I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's ravel it out. A couple times we've mentioned the difference between cataphatic and apophatic theology. And to be honest, my conversation, if we can call it that, with the gentleman yesterday made me think about that again because. For everything I brought up, they would just say, like, well, you're not a Christian. Like, you don't believe in the Bible. They would use, like, really negative language. And, like, I can recognize that that was a negation against me. They weren't actually making theological statements. Mm, Yeah. It was ad hominem. Yeah, it was just, like, ad hominem attacks. But it did remind me of the good that can be done with good apophatic theology. So, I like, Mm. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's get to it. So... Emily, you're the one who's gone to seminary. That's what I've that's what I've told people, yes. <laughs> um, can you give us a really easy description of cataphatic and apophatic theology? Sure. Because you probably know more than I do. Yes. Well, so for my understanding, cataphatic, and it can be spelled either with a C or with a K. Sometimes it's easiest to distinguish either with a K or a C. It's essentially a theology through a positive assertion about who God is, whereas apophatic is theology through negation, which asserts only what God is not. So here's an example. Cataphatic would say God is love. Apophatic would say God is not hate. Right. Mm. So that's a very blanket example. From my understanding- I feel like the other one that people are really familiar with is like- cataphatic theology is usually used to talk about God's attributes, like God is omnipresent or God is omniscient or God is all-powerful. That would be considered cataphatic, correct? If it's in a positive sense, yes. Yeah. Okay. That would be cataphatic. So what would would the apophatic be for that example? I'm not sure, honestly. The only thing I can think of is like God is more than just knowledge. Mm, I don't really know if you would call that apophatic. You wouldn't? Okay. Okay, so maybe you can clear this up for me then because I was listening to a podcast earlier to like freshen up on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the the woman I was listening to was talking about how like cataphatic, the difference between cataphatic and apophatic theology isn't always the same as positive and negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, and maybe that's true. She was drawing the distinction that like sometimes that is true. Because that's how I've always heard it explained. But she was taking it a step 
backwards to talk about the meanings of the words and that they're referring to language and that cataphatic mm, refers to sure. with language and apophatic refers to without language. And that the first, pe- the first like saints and church fathers who were using apophatic theology or like what we would consider apophatic, we're talking about like the transcendental nature of God and that God transcends our language capabilities. Mm, okay. Well, so I'm trying I don't know. To does that of... track or do you feel like that's a different view? I think it, in my understanding, I would consider that to be a different view, but that's not to negate the strengths of that view. I think they're valid for sure. Because I really like the distinction between like positive assertions and negative assertions. I think that that's really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Stephen? Uh, I'm mostly just curious, like what are theologies that you are handling right now that you find most compelling in the apophatic channel? Well, to be honest, what I was doing yesterday felt apophatic. I think this is why I was reminded of this because like a couple times I was like really blatantly saying what you're doing is not Christ-like and that felt apophatic to me, but I'm not sure if I'm using that word correctly. Mm. But I was like using a negation saying like what you're doing is not describing the love of Jesus. Oh, okay. But maybe it's different when we're talking about like God's attributes versus like practical theology. Oh, well. Mm, yeah. <laughs> are those mutually exclusive? Like is a theology around an attribute of God's impractical or not not like immediately practical to you? Uh, In some ways, yeah, because... The way I've heard apophatic theology used to describe God's attributes, for instance, would be something like God is not a man. God is not a human. Mm. God is something greater than a human. I see. And the, like the way I've heard it described the best, I think, is that apophatic theology really emphasizes the mystery of God. Like when the early theologians were trying to make sense of Jesus being fully God and fully man, they would describe it as like mystery like Jesus is right. the mystery. And by like making an appeal to that, they're saying that like, that's kind of how we arrived at the idea of Jesus as fully God and fully man, that like Jesus wasn't just man. He was greater than. Sure. And oh. to me, that well, really makes a lot of sense that like the, like identifying what God is not can lead us into a greater understanding of God. And that there's like always more to be known because we have limited capabilities. I think it helps if we understand not just the terminology, but where these ideas came from, these aren't actually like Christian ideas at all. This actually came longer mm. than Christianity's existence. Um, there mm. are many Hebrew scriptures and actually some classical Greek philosophy, which speaks to an affirmation or a speculation of who God or the divine is. And I think Christianity finally put labels to it because of the words negation and affirmation. They were able to cleanly label what it is people for long before time had been talking about. There's always something to speculate about God's attributes or who God is, but I don't know if we could say the same for how we personally act out our theology. So when you were discussing Mm. with Bullhorn Preacher, I don't know if we could actually say whether or not it was apophatic or cataphatic oh okay i think that's a different realm i think that makes sense okay 
So just because like just because someone makes like a negation doesn't mm-hmm. make it apophatic in right. terms of like what we're saying God is not like. Right. Or what Christ and Christianity is not like. Yes. Okay. That's that is my uh mm. take on that. But that's not to say that we could find ways in which you and bullhorn preachers were mm. sharing apophatic or cataphatic theology. Mm. So in one sense, when you were told that you weren't being a Christian, that wasn't an apophatic argument on their end. But your rebuttal, because you had said, what did you say to them? Uh, I basically said like what they were doing was not loving and not life-giving. I was stealing a lot from you, honestly. So hey, nice. if you were to turn the table on them and to say, well, this is what God is, that would be a cataphatic argument to rebuttal yeah. their their stance. So is cataphatic and apophatic theology mostly concerned with God's attributes then? To like m- that's kind of that's kind of what I'm understanding now. To my knowledge, yes. And I think it's so, important to distinguish that because people I think Bullhorn Guy is a prime example of if people hear what he was saying, they would they could say, oh, well, that's an apophatic theology. And that's not the case because they weren't actually making claims towards God's attributes or who God is. They were just making personal stances on their observations of you and telling people if they're going to hell, that's not that has nothing to do with cataphatic or apophatic at all. Gotcha. Steven, you've mentioned a couple times about like having some mystical experiences, like mystical, religious, whatever <laughs> language you want to use there. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm curious what your experience has been in experiencing God as mystery and how you think like negative terminology about God adds or subtracts from your experience of God. Wow. Interesting. I think the first thing that came to my head is when, when you make a claim that you've had some sort of like mystical or religious experience, again, this is kind of like couching everything back in the quad is like when you start talking about experience, I think a lot of other people tend to get skeptical or like start mm-hmm. the, you know, they start looking at me with a side eye, like, are you trying to make God all for yourself? Totally. But at the same time, it's really hard not for me to come back with a little snarky, like, well, isn't that what the evangelicalism I was raised with is all about like isn't it all about the personal relationship and the personal experience of God in your devotional time and in your worship time mm. all that right so it's like it's you can't win either way it feels like sometimes but mm. personally with the with the uh the spiritual experiences I've had I almost take more comfort nowadays in knowing what God is not than knowing what God is mm. it's like it's like can you say more about that? Apophatic traditions and apophatic theology helps to define simplicity in my theology because it provides necessary and often beautiful and aesthetic negative space to my interior life. Mm. So, you know, like we know the concept of negative space from graphic design. One of the famous examples is the FedEx logo and how. Mm -hmm. between the E and the X 
uh, in the negative space, there's an arrow and like, right. until you see it, you've, you didn't really notice it until somebody pointed it out to you. And now every time you see the FedEx logo, you will always see it. Right. So negative space for me is, is a new space for, for the Christ to play in, I guess, <laughs> like being able to know, or at least given signposts that the divine is laid out saying, Hey, just as a reminder, I'm not like bullhorn preacher guy, by the way, like the assertion of I'm not like that tells you a lot about what someone is like at the same time. Um, right. Yeah. I guess it's just, it's, it's just a whole riff on negative space, I guess. And that's, that's what I find beautiful about traditions that take us that way though. I think it can be guilty of, and maybe you guys can help me explore when you look to more apophatic traditions of expressing Christian faith, it's honestly pretty easy, you know, because we tend to write things off to, well, that's just the mystery of, of following Christ. You know, that's the mystery of mm. the way Jesus gave us. It almost is like the corollary to the, the scientific uh, fallacy of like God of the gaps, you know? Oh it's yeah. Like, I see what you're saying. Write it off to mystery and now you can't refute yeah. it because because I had my mystical experience and what are you going to mm. do about it right so mm-hmm. I don't, there's there's a tension there to be managed and maybe that's where another example of where the quad could come in and honestly probably where a lot of christian traditions would say okay you've had the experience now look to scripture and now look to like see if other people have written about this or can describe the same experience. Like if, if it's in the tradition of what you experience, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think it's good to point out too, that like we're using these terms cataphatic and apophatic and they have different viewpoints, but that doesn't mean they're contradictory. Like, I think it's better to look at these as a dialectic. Like they both add to each other. And also I think the Bible itself and God in the Bible uses this style of, theologizing like God in the old Testament tells the Israelites, I am not like other gods. Mm-hmm. I am not those other gods. Right. And that's important. Yeah. Like that distinguishes Yahweh from Baal and Ashereth or whatever. I was going to say, God I think is not the, like them. I think dialectical is one way to put it. I would say that they're actually complementary. I think you need to have oh. both in your life. Um, okay. I think Apophatic theology completes cataphatic theology in a sense of Mm. there are just some things in our human knowledge, in our human existence that we have limits on, that we have to at some point say, okay, this is what is not. Because Mm -hmm. if we were to continue down this cataphatic path of this limitless possibility, we wouldn't ever actually have concrete firm stances on what god is because it would just be Mm. this unboundless thing so when we say Mm. god is love and in the same token we say god is not hate we have a finite stance of we know this is how far god can go in one direction and how far god can go in another yeah because it's like to me it feels less comforting to say that god is omnipresent like god is everywhere in the universe like Mm -hmm. i don't think i have to deny that but it's not as comforting to me as saying God is not the universe. Right. Like it's more comforting <laughs> oh, yeah. to me that God is transcendent of the universe and is something greater than our reality. 
there there are limits to both sides of the language between cataphatic and apophatic. Like I think the greatest positive assertion that you can make is God is love. But mm-hmm. even in that, you're establishing so many apophatic theologies because by saying God is something that inherently means he is not other things. And on the same idea, I guess, cataphatic theology can actually be toxic if not held properly. And what by what I mean by that is it can mislead people in the sense of if it goes unchecked, it gives the impression that we as humans can have this reason and understand God totally and completely to the, the, I guess, Mm. to the degree in which it will diminish any mystery or any incomprehensibility towards God as a creator, as a divine being, as whatever. And I think that's where apophatic theology comes in to say, whoa, hey, we are only human. Like, we do have a limited amount of knowledge and understanding to Mm. this topic, because if we were to have the same knowledge and understanding as God, then Mm. we would be God. Like, we can't we can't put ourselves in that realm. So apophatic puts us in check and has a balance of saying you can have both. You can have a strong cataphatic theology, but you need to have an equally strong apophatic if you want to keep Mm. that mystery alive. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color, off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm curious to know, um, between the two of you, if concepts like systematic theology in apologetics or anything like that ever appealed to you in your younger days? Because when I was growing up, my youth leader had uh, three different translations of the Bible. One was the New English translation that we've mentioned on the podcast before with, with its like 30 some thousand footnotes. So like he had all these study Bibles and then always with the Bible he carried was a systematic theology textbook. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was like the second holy text in, in our <laughs> tradition. Like if, if the Bible couldn't directly say something, basically this book would be opened up and they would be like, well, Wayne Grudem said that this is how angels are. And if he said it, he must have it figured out. And then we just took that as it was. So like, yeah, I lay like, uh, Emily, what you, what you got me thinking of is apophatic is a good way of checking an obsession with like systematic theology, making sure every piece of the puzzle is established before you try and live a Christian life. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I have a great grasp on what systematic theology is. Um, Cause like I'm a huge fan of commentaries and word studies and different Bible translations. Yeah. And I think that that's fun. Um, but I, I guess I don't know precisely what the difference is between a commentary and a person's systematic theology. 
Is it just trying to like systematize everything or something? In my experience, yeah. It's a way to arrange and interpret ideas like in the current religion. It it's associated a lot of times with constructive theology, if you know what that is. Ooh, tell us more, please. No, I don't. Um, so yeah. Constructive theology is another name, you know, for systematic theology. It's specifically a postmodern approach where it applies theories such as feminist theory, queer theory, deconstructionism, hermeneutics. Um, so you're essentially mm. trying to deconstruct ideas and rationally lay them out in a in a system in a in a way that is formulated and easy to understand. What do you feel like the main purpose of it is? Is it just to show like it's comprehensive and it's reasonable in the same way that like apologetics kind of does that with like trying to show that it, the existence of faith is reasonable? I think so. I think it's for people who and I think to a certain degree everyone is, but it's a theology that is orderly, it's rational and coherent, mm. and it helps shine an orderly and coherent light on doctrines of the Christian faith, of the Bible, things like church history, disciplines. Those are all things that its task is to help show the more dogmatic and constructive approaches to faith. Yeah. Yep. That's that's is bringing up so many like feelings in my chest right now. Listening to you talk about that is it? Yeah, it is because oh, interesting. I mean, that's that's how I was raised in a very it was a systematic theology built on uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, mm-hmm. like mm. reformed bros like systematic theology a lot because I I remember something mm. that appealed to me very much in high school. I remember talking to my youth pastor specifically one night and being like, I just love how logical God seems like it all just fits Mm. together. And then, so the reason though, Mm. it brings up so many like weird feelings in my chest that I'm aware of right now is because I I think people who are raised in really tight, dogmatic, systematic theologies, that's why evangelicals in particular right now are susceptible to concepts of deconstructionism is because as soon as one brick is pushed out of the wall, the whole mm-hmm. thing like is revealed to be a house of cards in a way because you know if 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 one piece of because you were taught it was so rigid if one piece of the perfectly logical system that god designed for us that's laid out in this college textbook right it's like if one piece uh-huh. gets pushed out they've done so much work to stack everything on top of one another it's like a big sure. theological jenga tower and you finally like picked the wrong one so, ooh, yeah, that's a... Well, Emily, that's why I think I like your concept about them being complementary more than anything mm-hmm. else because I was, like, reading up on it earlier and it was mentioning how, like, a lot of uh, a lot of Christian thinkers who write about this talk... Like, they don't deny cataphatic theology. Sure. And only affirm apophatic theology. Mm-hmm. Like, they talk about, like, the... like almost the transition of like you have to come to know that you can know god before you can know that we can't know god sure i think the same applies for theology i think we need to have complementary theology in our life and so you know it's not to say do away with systematic theology like 
throw it away. No, no, no. Don't throw it away. Keep it. But don't solely hold on to that theology. There are, I mean, we have practical theology. You have systematic theology, moral theology, historical theology, ecumenical mm. theology, constructive theology. These are all, <laughs> these are all watch talks the MDiv for God. Go. Yeah, watch the MDiv go on the that, list. <laughs> that we, we need to have a balance. We can't just solely rely on one because wow. that's life inhibiting. If you think about it, if God, if God is wanting us to explore who God is, the attributes of God, God's relationship with us, we can't limit those tools and resources because God is so vast. Mm. If there was only mm. one way to connect with God and the answer was systematic theology, then we would all be using it. We would all be in the same religion. I mean, it just, it would be very limited and that's not life-giving. And I think to um, make an appeal to the text there, because essentially, Emily, what you're saying is any one systematic theology, any any one brand of theology will not put God in the perfectly God-shaped box because, exactly. you know, like God uh, like there's there's a way to say it like Josh just said it about the universe like God is not the box but God is like in and around and just like the entire being of the box mm-hmm. <laughs> um and to make the appeal to the text is essentially the the Israelites first demanded a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations around them and then they decided building a temple was a good idea because this is how we would commune with i mean like they literally tried to put mm-hmm. god in a box and it took jesus coming and saying i'm going to tear this mm. temple down and it will be rebuilt in three days and it's rebuilt through the body of christ like the community of human beings collecting themselves around this mm. this new path mm-hmm. to being human but it broke the box it like literally you know so like we we see in the crucifixion narrative the veil is torn in two from top to bottom the the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the the lid of the box just like burst open at that moment because because God doesn't deserve and doesn't belong in one rigid space that we can hold on to because if we can put God in a box mm. it's like if we're the ones packing the box then we're outside the box and yet God is in it and now our God is too mm-hmm. small you know it's funny you bring up that example um I was just reading this is going to be a paraphrase but uh, St. Augustine writes about this example of walking along the beach and finding a child making a hole in the sand and trying to uh, fit all the ocean water into the hole in the sand and him telling the child, like, there's no way you can fit all the ocean in that hole. Mm. And the child responding that it's the same with our minds and understanding God. Mm. Mm-hmm that there's there's always so much more to God's character. Like we can know that we found the ocean and we can identify the ocean, but there's only so much we can know because we will never be God. And so therefore yeah. we cannot fully understand what it is like right. to be God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's I, a beauty I personally that. find that super powerful. Like I think that we can find God revealed in Jesus and also hold intention that we can never fully understand God because if we think we've, fully systematized and fully found out God, then that thing itself cannot be God. Sure. If we understand it. Yeah. Cause it's the transcendence that must be true first. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that's how I feel at least, but I don't know. I can see people being like really reactionary to this and saying like, no, like we can know absolutely for certain who God is and God's character. And like, 
leaving things open to mystery is just like the God of the gaps fallacy. Mm -hmm. Like I can see someone making that critique, especially like being, uh, I, I really understand what people are saying when they say that like deconstructing language is just like too wiggly and too wonky and like, isn't grounded in reality. Yeah. Sure. Right. Like I kind of get that critique, honestly, but I don't know. For me, the apophatic thing is really enriching, I guess. Another way I... It should be, yeah. yeah. Another way I frame apophatic is kind of a way to translate uh, something that's pretty popular in our world right now, but um, it's it's almost like spiritual minimalism to me. At least that's the attitude Mm -hmm. I bring to it. Mm -hmm. It's like I can Mm -hmm. heap together all the things I know to be positive assertions about God, but how many of them are life-giving and also well kind of kind of my question way back uh from earlier with josh is like are attributes of god necessarily impractical theology and i liked his answer because honestly some of those some of those really don't have or maybe i need to do more work work with them but maybe it, it seems like some of those attributes really don't have a huge impact on the way i live my christian life so mm apophatic for me again is just kind of the movement toward i called it spiritual minimalism or like looking for places where negative space could add more than just trying to find mm. another thing to set up on the shelf as a cataphatic theology to say there's something else i have um up on the wall because mm. maybe maybe the wall would be more beautiful just with, with nothing up there for now. Maybe the negative space would actually mm-hmm. complement mm-hmm. something else that I need to be paying attention to. Hmm. Did you guys ever read, or do you know about the book called The Cloud of Unknowing? Oh, this is uh, Anonymous, oh. correct? It is. It is written by Anonymous himself. Not the hacker organization, That's but funny. a uh, 14th century <laughs> Christian monk who wished to remain nameless. That's funny. 14th century, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's either 14th or 15th. Okay. It's 14th. Is it 14th? Tell me. Emily, have you read it? I've heard of it. Okay. Um, I it's kind of a for being such a short read, it's kind of a dense read. It feels really poetic and um it definitely references the Bible a lot. Like he or she kind of makes this appeal to God encountering Moses and the Israelites as like a cloud and feeling like presenting God's self as really mysterious. Mm-hmm. And the writer really leans into this idea of like God inviting us to unknow our ideas about God and that God has so much more to reveal to us about who God really is. Yeah. Isn't it like a, isn't the author essentially saying it's a way to surrender our mind and ego to yeah. this realm of unknowing? And it's, yeah, basically. Also, it's also like a it's a guide on contemplative prayer, which is a yeah, powerful totally. way of letting go. I think mm-hmm. that is one of the most powerful ways to do that. Yeah, I I don't remember the writer using a lot of ego language. Like it was written before we had a lot of philosophy and psychology around the idea of ego. Like that was it was really pre Freud. Um, sure, but basically, yeah. Like to me, it felt like reading a lesson in humility. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Like mm. it, it almost felt like it didn't feel as in your face as God saying to Job, like, who are you? Like, were you there when the mountains were created? But it kind of has a similar air to it. Sure. 
Mm. I read that a couple years ago, and to be honest, it took me a while to get through it because it's really rich language yeah. and really poetic. Josh, but it did feel really enriching. You were in the middle of reading that when we recorded No Normal People with you. I remember you mentioning it on our oh, whoa. interview. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, right? I really like that language. I like being able to put it in that surrendering language. Mm-hmm. That That's a good way of framing kind of the way I was trying to speak to like spiritual minimalism. It's like what what things are worth just surrendering back and saying, you know, it's it's really hard for me to like keep a grasp on all these things at once. Like I can only carry so many things. So mm-hmm. what what must be the essentials, you know? Mm. And like I said, I think the prime cataphatic theology we have is in John's letter saying God is love and everything else flows from that both cataphatic and mm. epiphatic ideas. I like that a lot. Steven, what do you think? I'm just kind of framing this question out loud. So let me know what you think. Well, luckily for you, I'll be framing my answer out loud. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, what do you think has been something that you have rethought about what God is like that you had been taught previously? Oh, that's a good question. Like if we're talking about like the positive and the negative attributes, not like good and bad, but like what God is like and what God is not like, Mm -hmm. what is something that you've been taught previously about God that either has been influential and that you've kept or that you've kind of like rethought and reframed for yourself? Hmm. I think the one that leaps to my mind is a framing of God as judge defense attorney Mm. and like the prison warden. A lot of theology around penal substitution frames God as a very rigid demand for justice that I think is just misinterpreted a lot. I think like the day of judgment language in the Bible is, is not what we would think in a world post uh, the United States constitution. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily have like a spiritual supreme court. I think I think that's the primary one, Josh, is I used to be mm-hmm. terrified of God the Father for that exact reason because I thought he was the mm-hmm. one just ready to throw the throw the handcuffs on and and throw me in a torture chamber, mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. and understanding that God is love and if we need to know what God is like, then we look to Jesus. I never, I never see Jesus doing that. So that's something that Mm. I've, I've laid down or surrendered that theology Mm. and look for other ways to express it. Does that answer Mm -hmm. your question? Yeah, I like that answer. What about you, Emily? I would say one thing that I've previously thought of as an attribute and I no longer see it that way is God being this wrathful puppet master where Mm. we're all just kind of pawns in this game. Because honestly, as a young child, if you were to read the Bible and then hear people in Sunday school telling you what not to do, how to act, you almost think like you're just a piece of this puzzle and God is ultimately just kind of moving you around and you have no sense of direction you you know if you do wrong you're in trouble and there's this almost wrathfulness to that 
and I clearly don't believe that anymore. If you've heard me speak on any of these episodes, <laughs> you know how I how I see God um, now. But I do think it is important for me to acknowledge that I'm not necessarily letting that go. I'm coming to the realization that, yeah, God is not wrathful and that's mm. apophatic. And that is just setting the limit on one end and allowing me to then explore the other end of possibilities of what God is. Yeah, I agree. Um, the first example that came to my mind for this question that I came up with was nice. that <laughs> I feel like I heard a lot of emphasis growing up and uh, even as an adult from people describing God as father and specifically male. And I don't feel like I was ever mm -hmm. given the idea that God is an old man in the sky. And I also don't feel like I was ever specifically given like an abusive or a toxic view of God. Mm. I've always heard it like, you know, God is a loving father and like God is like a father to his children and like the perfect father. But I feel like that attribute for me has been less emphasized in years since that I've, I'm finding much more freedom in the idea that because God is our creator and God created humans and therefore he created gender and sex and any social construct we have of it, then therefore God must be greater than that. And even if God is mm -hmm. like a father, God is not a father apophatically in the sense that we have earthly fathers. Like God must therefore be more than a father. And also I, I think we can all admit that that was an analogy and that not very many people took that literally that like sure. outside wow. of Jesus, I don't think many people think God has a penis. Like I, I just find so much comfort in the fact that like God is greater. Wow. Like God yeah. is not me. God is not mm -hmm. a male and God is like something greater as a being or a gender than I could like ever possibly imagine. And so I feel like that's been the biggest one for me that's gotten reframed from something that wow. I was taught. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I don't even feel like I'm denying God as father. Like, I think we can right. use that language well and like healthily and non-toxically, but like, it feels so much more enriching to like refer to God with God or God's self pronouns and just mm -hmm. to like, like in wow. small ways, acknowledge that God is greater than gender yeah. and our ideas yeah. of what it means to relate to parents and children yeah that right there is life-giving it's good truly. it's good to recognize good. It, it is to me apophatically it's good to recognize god is not father with penis right or like mm -hmm. explicitly right. male and at the same time i also find it life-giving to cataphatically say god is mother as well mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. and actually doing an intentional mm. flipping of the script because i think saying god is not mm. father and saying God is mother, like it, it does something in me where it's like, oh, wow. Like it, like instantly I feel in my body, like, wow, the way I relate to my mom is the way I is not the way I relate to my dad. And saying mm. God is mother is like, wow, there's a whole nother dimension of relationality mm. to God available to us. If we're willing to do some creative reframing like that. Also, if someone ever wants to push up against that, you should tell them to uh, look up the original Hebrew meaning of the word El Shaddai that's used in the Old Testament. I love that hymn. We sing it a lot in our church. Oh, I don't know that hymn. Is that a hymn? It's a hymn. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's oh. really short. Oh, yes, it's beautiful. I love it. 
We should we should put a link to that. So we should like find a video of that because I want to. Oh, I easy peasy. That. I've I never can, heard it before. I, can do that. I agree. It's beautiful. Sweet. I'll send it. Sweet. We'll uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so we can all listen to it. I think if there's one thing, well, I'm sure we will take away more than just one thing from this conversation. But if we're going to take away one thing and it ties back nicely to apophatic and cataphatic is this idea of balance and mm. this forefront mm. idea of is it life giving? And I know that seems to be like a recurring theme and like I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Uh, and if you want to use it or not is totally up to you. Um, I know for me it helps clearly divide the idea between good and bad theology because that doesn't exist. Mm. You can't really have a bad theology because I can't, huh. I, I can't determine that for you. Huh. And so that's why I like using mm. life-giving. And that's where apophatic and cataphatic comes in because those two together are, they're kind of keeping me on this mysterious tightrope and that mm. is life-giving for me because I'm allowing mystery, but I'm allowing some assertion of hope and firmness in my beliefs. But as I'm walking along, I'm willing to kind of tip one way or another to kind of help guide me and to, to see if I'm truly balanced in my life. And that's where theology in general can fit along that as well. And these ideas these ideas of how we talk about God, God as father, God as mother, God self, even if we use gendered pronouns, it I, that can be life-giving if we're willing to kind of walk mm. that tightrope. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's very good. Thank you, Emily. You're welcome. I had a question for you guys. Oh, shoot. I'm ready. to lift us out of this theology and st start talking real practical real quick. Ready? Oh, oh let's boy. do it. Let's do it. What is the functional difference between bullhorn street preacher in Seattle and three people talking on a podcast? Because like, I think I made a joke about it on Twitter recently, Josh, with our friend Tiffany Thorpe, where I said, basically podcasting is private megaphoning. Yeah. Also shout out to Tiffany for just encouraging my antics and like making me uh, lean into being a challenger. Yeah. Thank you, Tiffany. Yeah. Into it. Appreciate you. But I don't know. Just explore this space with me because sometimes I get the feeling every t like uh, sometimes I get the feeling when I release a podcast episode where it's like, what am I what am I even doing here? Are we just like another are we the digital version of just megaphoning some oddball beliefs of ours? I have several functions already off the top of my head. Let's go. Go, Let's Josh. Go. Number one, they are both public. Yes, that's good to acknowledge. Number two, ours is conversational. Whereas someone bullhorn preaching, unless someone has a bullhorn back to them, it is <laughs> like not Josh? conversational. Yeah. It is one-sided. <laughs> oh. And that is a very important distinction. Um, number two, when someone listens to our podcast, they are consenting to listen. They are listening like with willful intent and of their own volition versus like when people are being preached at, it is non-consensual. And that is not okay. I, like like, I don't care word. if it's not sexual. Like the fact it. that they are preaching at people that did not ask to be preached at those people did not go to church to listen to a sermon. Wow. That's very different as a function. Um, what else was I thinking of? Can you think of any more, Emily? I feel like those ones stand out to me so much. On Yeah, and I think it comes back to this idea of life-giving. Is what Bullhorn Guy doing, is that life-giving at all? Is it actually leading people into discernment or conversation or anything? Or is it just 
this sense of personal endeavor and mm. it's just not i don't think it's just life-giving i just don't and i'm sure there are ways that bullhorn preacher could be life-giving and that's something totally. bullhorn guy mm. if you ever listen if you are a bullhorn person I challenge you to find ways of doing that in a way that is life-giving and not just for you. That is what is important. It's not about you. If you are being a bullhorn person because you want other people to hear, what you are claiming then is that you want other people to hear so it is about them and not about you. So who is it life-giving Honestly, for? Honestly, if he was out there and he had a speaker, which is technically illegal, but if he had it and all he was saying to people passing by was, hey, Jesus loves you. I just want you to know Jesus that's, loves you. Hmm. Hey, that's Jesus loves you. That's very different. And I would honestly be okay with that. Wow. But the fact that he was around small businesses and amplifying in a way that was very distracting to them and like downgrading their quality of experience and like preventing them from getting business and distracting yeah. people from like going about their daily lives. Like to me, that just feels so different, regardless that's, of the content yeah. of his message. Like we're not even talking about theology. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I really like the, the framing of consensual listening and like consensual, um, participation in what we're doing. I think that's important. I think that very succinctly and very clearly, uh, allays any of my fears of podcasting versus bullhorn preacher guy. So thank you for this, Josh. Thank you for this gift. Also, if you're an hour into this discussion and you hate us, just stop listening. Like, you don't have to listen to us. You <laughs> can leave it in right now, please. That's true. That's the other part of podcasting is you can you can just manually turn us off. You can uh, downvote us. You can leave us a bad review. That's how it works. <laughs> leave us a bad review. In real and, life, there's no way to do that. Yeah. And if you did, it would help us. That's the whole point of this is we are engaging in conversation and we don't have all the answers. So if there is just something that you completely disagree with or something you want to push even further. That's what we're here for. And that's what we long for is this deeper dive of raveling topics together. Because that's what strengthens us as people, Mm. as Christians, Mm -hmm. is this willingness to push back or to disagree or to just even have further conversation, even if you agree. Mm. It's something Mm. that is life-giving in the sense of allowing collaboration together nice do y'all think we're building our own systematic theology with this podcast (laughs) i don't like that question (laughs) i'm gonna answer with question mark i have no i i i I don't know if it's rational. I don't know if it, you know, I would <laughs> hope that it is, but I can't actually speak to whether yeah, or not fair. it is. So question mark. I'm going to say no, but I do think that the yes. more that we seek God and the more that we seek truth, the more God will reveal God's self and truth to us and that we can trust in that. Like, I really believe that. Wow. Boom. But I don't think that means that we're systematizing. I like that. And that we're making the claim that we understand everything. Like we even say in our intro, like we don't have all the answers, but we're going to sort it out. <laughs> Isn't but that like, your line, like, Josh? I really believe yeah. that. And that is not tongue-in-cheek. No, that is not a tongue-in-cheek line. We definitely don't. No. no, that's really it. Like I don't, like I know that each of us have our own beliefs, but like I don't think any of us are grandstanding or like we're trying to agenda-fy this whole thing. Mm, like I really mm-mm. think that we're trying to be honest and like seek out truth. Yeah. And I think that that's very There's different. There's no master plan yeah. we have on Google Docs somewhere where like we have to <laughs> arrive by 2022 by starting our own cult. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, but 
Uh, yes. On that note, actually, this might be a good time to bring it up. We are, however, starting a Patreon. Nice segue, yes. my man. Yes. yes. That was completely unintentional. Um, we just got there organically. If you're listening and you don't know what Patreon is, it's a website. You can go to patreon.com. As of this week, you can search Ravel Podcast and you can become a supporter of the show. So uh, that's really the only agenda we have. Yeah. And directly, you can get there by going to patreon.com slash ravelpod. It's just like our Twitter and Instagram handles. Yeah. As little as $3 a month, you can come and literally join conversations like this one. And we don't want this to sound like a, like a huge sell or anything, but we do want to put it out there that if you would like to support the show, you're more than welcome to. It's all going back into the show to make it better. Mm-hmm. We want to make more resources for people to have as their faith ravels out in this complex world and we want to be together in this we want to create community and we want you to be a part of it with us so if that's something that interests you you can find a link to it in the show notes as well absolutely and also there you have it you could also just head over to social media if if the patreon thing is not for you we do post weekly discussion questions on our instagram that we the three of us love diving in there and and chatting oh, yeah. with with everyone about their questions or th- their own points to what we've said. I am definitely more of an Instagram person than a Twitter person, so hit me up on Instagram, people. Also, shout out to Jeff Hall from the UK. I think he is our most dedicated discussioner. Like, yes, Jeff. I just want to say thank you. Like, I'm the one who responds to you usually, and you have been so thought provoking for me the last couple of weeks. So. Thank you, my friend. I I really appreciate your theological thoughts on the things that we talk about. It's a gift. It really means a lot. Yeah. And that's the point of it, though. We love the community aspect of it. We love hearing from other people. We do. We truly le- we love it. Emily, do you have a word for us as we leave this discussion? Oh. I think I do. As we enter into conversation, whether we approach it from a cataphatic or apophatic approach, just know that it's a tightrope of a journey. And we are on this journey together, being swayed into truth and knowledge as best as we can. 